This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. the green line in this city, whenever I go from Mat'haf all the way to the sea, which is effectively the green line of Beirut, I make it a point to stop and bait Beirut. And I've been doing this since I was a kid. Since before Beit Beirut was Beit Beirut. It was the Barakat building, al khattanes And long ago, I got to meet Muna al-Hallat, who for me is still one of the best storytellers in the city, maybe the best one. She fought against the municipality, she fought against, I think, her friends, she probably fights against herself on a daily basis. But this is why the city has something very unique. A wonderful venue for not just storytelling, not just civil war history, but civic, civic involvement, civic education, which I think is why we're here, trying to get Lebanese citizens to better understand this entire tragedy and also to reflect on previous prosperity. There's no better place to do this than Beit Beirut. And I'm very lucky I'm getting to do this with both of you because we just met, I think 10 days ago or so, the opening of Alu Beirut. Um, Tada saved my life. It's true. She hid me from people that wanted to talk to me and she did it effectively. And Tada's quite uh, vicious when she wants that done and I was really happy to be next to her. I think I saved you sometimes, too, from other people, so it was mutual, uh, mutual defense. Daphne, I think I know about you. I've never met you, I think, other than maybe a few seconds in Beit Beirut. But uh, you come highly recommended from friends and from Hamad Tami, who's become a very good friend. Um, I think this is the kind of venue that uh, Lebanese should visit, and sometimes classrooms should be forced to go there. Uh, it's a remarkable unlayering of the city's past, um, with or without AC. It's a treat, <laughs> with or without AC, and I mean that because I was sweating my way through happiness, and that's when I met you guys, drenched with sweat. So, the built-in audience for the podcast they know about Beit Beirut, they know about Munal Halla, they know about many urban planning uh, activists, but I don't think they would know you personally. So, if I could start with you, Tala, just Explain yourself to an audience that knows the building, that knows the passion behind this kind of project, but doesn't necessarily know what you're doing and your direct involvement. Well, let me start. I'm thinking how to start this. Um, let me start from, from Delphine, from how I met Delphine. Maybe that could be interesting. Yeah. And how we came about this uh, project and how I was involved. Because the project is... It's been 10, 15 years since Delphine was working on this. So I'm kind of new to this project. Although I did other stuff, but for this project, I'm considered new. I'm sorry, did you say 10, 15 yeah. years? Yeah, she will okay. explain well, more about I didn't hers. know it was that long, wow. Yes. 
So, uh, Screw you, Tyler. Let's go to Daphne. No, I'm joking. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Keep going. Great. Great. <laughs> so you saw why, you, now you understand why I want Delphine with me. Absolutely. Yes. Of course. So let me tell you what, how I met Delphine. So we had a common friend mm. and uh, she was, you know, talking to me passionately about this project that she had, uh, the exhibition, uh, Prosper Gepara. And I was like, who? Who is that person? Like, I had no idea who is that person. I still, I think, don't have an idea. I have a better idea. Mm. And she was like, uh, I'm doing this project in Beirut. It's called Alo Beirut. Uh, it's interesting. A lot of challenges are going on. So um, let's, let's see how we can partner together. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, of course, partners, projects, uh, I'm into that, definitely. And I didn't know back then what, what it was very, like, in details. Uh, and then later on we spoke about it and then I realized that um, it really connects very much to the mission of what I'm doing. So uh, back in 2013, I founded Ila, uh, a small NGO uh, working on citizenship education and civic education in Lebanon with young people. And... Uh, Really, the mission of, of Manila is to really empower and foster a sense of social responsibility uh, through our youth and through our all everyone living here in Lebanon. And it started small, it is still small. Hmm. Uh, so when, when she told me about Alo Beirut, I'm like, this exhibition is about connecting citizens and residents in Lebanon, not only through their, to their history, but also to their present and their future. And I thought, wow, that's it. I, I really want to work on this with Delphine. So this is how it all started. And this is in that 10 to 15 year period that you kind of met? Or is it more recent? It's more recent. It's like two years ago. Two, wow. It was actually, it was one year ago. And it was on uh, 4th August during the commemoration. Oh, oh my gosh, it's so true. So because we have this uh, common friend and we met this day. And after we had a drink and we, you talked about what you were doing and about citizenship and about activism. So true. You yeah. know, I, I should know this because I thought it was an exaggeration. I saw the Adel Beirut poster, and it does say 10 to 12 years ago an idea was born. I did not know that that's really 10 to 12 years. I thought that was just people met by... Ch I didn't take it seriously. So may I ask you, Daphne, what, what is the... Hmm, I'm going to be a bit tricky here. What is the delay in getting something like that started? Um... Because let's say that the project uh, changed a lot, mm. uh, and actually the story starts in 2010 at Beirut. It's like it will it will take the same way of what the beginning of your story. Yeah, I um, my grandmother lived on the Rimono, and uh, this mm. building, uh, the Beit Baraka Limeuble Jaune, was a very uh, strange building for me because I'm I'm French from my father and uh, Lebanese from my mother. So each time when we visited my grandmother, there was this building so beautiful, but it also very, uh, I know it's a symbol of the war kind kind of yeah. And that's before Beit Beirut was officially opened. Yeah, before its rehabilitation. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, when I come back uh, in Lebanon in 2010, I was a journalist. Um, actually, I wanted to become a journalist, so I was in a master at uh, the Lebanese University. And uh, I wanted to work with Lebdo magazine. And I, I, I remember that uh, this building and one of my friends who worked at La, Mer La Mairie de Paris told me, like, you know, this, this, uh, this building will, come, will, will become uh, a museum. So, like, it's interesting to go inside, but I didn't know what I would find. Uh, 
And this was the first, actually, I saw, I asked uh, Lebdo Magazine, can I work with you? Mm. I say, let's find subject of investigation, because we just don't need the normal journalists. We need the journalists for investigation. Oh, so is that why it's both artists and journalists combined? <coughs> no, it will come later. Oh, that's unrelated. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there is a few steps. Yeah. But so I I, I, uh, I proposed Beit Beirut. I was like, yeah, there is a, there is a, a place that would become a... A museum, it mm. would be interesting, I can go inside, it was kind of a bit forbidden at this period to go in. And it's where I met Bebe, where I, I met uh, Mona Halak. Okay. As you. I mean, and it was yeah. like uh, the, it's, it was really a discovery. When I interviewed her, it was for for three hours and I was listening to this woman, I was like, okay, I love her. She, yeah. she was like a beautiful activist because from my side, my uh, history with Lebanon, everybody was telling me, Delphine, you cannot change Lebanon, it's like that, it's, it's like that. And Mona Halak was telling me the opposite, mm -hmm. that actually um, her family and friend was telling her, Mona, you are losing 15 years of your, of your life, it's like that. And she was like, no, it's not like that. And she fought so much, so hard. So um, and it's kind of thanks to her that, uh, and of course she's co-director also. Right. But uh, it's still on my mind that we need to do something with Beit Beirut because someone fought for fought for twenty years, and we need to uh, to push for that because it's it's crazy. So it's something that struck me as quite uh, <coughs> refreshing that it's not a civil war exhibition, or it's not a civil war focused exhibition. It's really about Beirut as it stands on its own, which I thought is good, because. These kinds of exhibits tend to have a very negative, sad uh, tragedy in the background, and I didn't feel that one bit walking through Alou Beirut, actually. was a bit inspired at times. And even these unique kind of displays where you can recreate downtown, or even, I mean, I think it was Muhammad Tam's exhibit that there's a camera filming you changing the city, and there's posters, there's newspapers, there's collective memory with a positive angle, not so negative. And I'm wondering, is that fair to describe it this way? Or am I being a little too sort of romantic? Because I did not feel sadness in the room. I felt joy, which the, I thought was quite good for Beit Beirut. The room, you mean uh, on the room of downtown or uh, you mean in the exhibition? You know, maybe I'm so jaded now that when things are negative, they have to be very negative to feel that way. But I actually <coughs> felt, I felt some joy. In, in a lost, in a lost city, and I can ask both of you, maybe Tala, if, uh, if that's an intentional thing, or am I sort of seeing it a bit? Uh... I cannot answer for the exhibition mm. part. I I will let Delphine answer, but I can relate to what you felt because, mm. as well, I was not part of the second phase, which is the production phase of the exhibition. Mm. So I came in, and I felt the same experience as anyone coming in the exhibition. So yeah. I didn't know what was, what I was expecting. So, as you said, I mean, it is tricky. The exhibition is not about um, trying to uh, depict the reality or the history or what really happened. Because yeah. some people were expecting that. And we had someone come like two days ago and he was like, but this is not what happened. This is not the reality. And but I, I think he didn't actually listen to all the audio because it's what happened. Everything is based on facts, mm. at least. Mm. I know. So it happened, but it's not uh, the representation of is this is it. This is the history of Lebanon. No, it's exactly. Uh, it's one. <laughs> but if if I can interject, I'm sorry to do this, but it's even the going from one room to the other is fun. It's it's like a maze rather than a tragedy. And I, I, maybe I'm sounding a bit silly saying this, but I actually really enjoyed it. 
but maybe let's finish and yeah, I will I will sure, I will yeah. answer. I felt also very positive because mm. I think we were not expecting that from Bed Beirut because we already come in with not a negative uh, expectation but somehow like what is this outcome? I mean, what is it about Alo Beirut? What is it about the history? Like we already, history is also a boring topic. Don't don't forget that history is something we never really learned here in Lebanon. We missed. So coming here and being facing this, as you said, amazing rooms, the lighting, the decor, everything. It kinds it kind of reflects some positivity, and that's yeah. really interesting. And and just to add one more thing. Uh, going from one room to another and discovering Beirut before the war and after the war. Mm -hmm. um, I honestly didn't feel a lot of change between this transition. Right. Yeah. And I think this was the purpose of the exhibition yeah. uh, because we really are living the same uh, stories again and again. And I will let Delphine talk more about this. But I didn't feel this change. I felt it also uh, that it's not only the same story, but it's also the same... Um, uh, setting the same ambiance, the same. It's it, it was set as a journey, but it's kind of the same journey till today. I found it as the city speaking for itself, rather than us trying to sort of feel bad for it. And maybe you can interject here. Is that is that something that's ingrained in this exhibit? Yeah, definitely. And we wanted uh, to to have a dialogue with Beirut. So okay. a lot of time yeah. it's like you know perceiving. Like for me, Beirut is a person, so it's like we are talking with her and she answers yeah. as she can with what we find as archives. Right. But just for the civil war, so it was a choice not to talk about the civil war directly. We have many mm -hmm. comments about that before on the conceptual phase, why you don't want to talk. And actually, Beirut is for me like the... I think again. it's the best decision made. Thank you. And I'm glad to know that was a deliberate decision. Yeah. I felt it and I wasn't sure. But it seems like, yeah, that's... Because the civil war was, is, is the building anyway. So yeah, it's like, exactly. for example, on the, specifically on the Beirut of today part, and we, we, we all have the civil war. I mean, the one who lived, not me. I'm saying we, but the ghost of the civil war. When you take a decision, a political decision or a choice, it's like, oh, but it will come back. The war will come back. And so for us, Beirut was this ghost. Yeah. Whatever you walk... You just you move and you see the, the loopholes and everything. Then it's good that you feel it's it's happy on the second part because we were super. Uh, it's your second part, meaning the second. It's the, past. the second. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. First, yeah. First part is Beirut of today, kind of a statement, and right. and then we go to the past to see yeah. the roots of our issues mm -hmm. or to see if we can find the roots of our issue. But we were afraid that it would be super uh, depressive, actually, because this is what you just said, and it's repetition. So you are in the '60s and you are listening to the issue we still have today, and sometime in some room you will find that uh, the the ideas was more uh, progressist than today. So it's like. Oh no, but maybe that with the it's good. It's like a, it's a balance with the format of the exhibition, immersive, interactive, that bring you and you're also an actor, uh, yeah. as as visitors. That's how I felt. That I actually was a participant in a stage production. That's great because it was one of the mission. I've quietly gone back without really wanting to make a fuss or bring anybody with me. I've just gone back, and I think I could keep going. I think actually. Had I had time, I would have gone today. Um, and I know that your NGO, Tada, is called Min Ella. Yeah. Is that right? It's almost like a perfect match for this exhibit because it's really Beirut before and after. 
to and from. I mean, I think it, it all makes sense. And your focus is on youth, youth sort of engagement. Yes. I did not notice, and uh, I, no, I'll say it differently. I think it was designed well for all generations and also accessible for the youth. And I want to maybe go into that sort of direction. Um, I appreciate the way you're describing that things haven't changed much. And that this is a building that, in a way, is preserving time. It's locking time. And the exhibit does that well. It shows a city that hasn't really moved on. The youth today, I think, are more interested in history than ever. And it's from intuitive sort of moments it could be literally historians making a name for themselves on social media. And the October 17 protest, I think, is a lot of that. Hmm. It's Lebanese, but young Lebanese, barging into old buildings, trying to reclaim something they lost. Beit Beirut is not that, but there's other buildings that had that experience. So could you maybe share with anyone that's trying to understand how this can actually help the youth better appreciate, or maybe even reclaim their history, because I think this is an uphill battle. For any NGO, in particular one that you started, I can imagine this is uh, an endless uh, mission. Extremely interesting topic, but I think that youth today are not very much interested in history. They're oh. interested in themselves at first. <laughs> I will tell you why. Because we're losing... That's the best not line. Only... I'm going to steal that line from you. It's a good line. <laughs> We're not only, I mean, we're, okay, how to put that? Um, we have lost our history, and we are losing our youth. How? Because today, my friends, Delphine's friends, even the older generation, when we started the exhibition, I told them, yeah, you know, Bed Beirut, and like, who, what? What is Bed Beirut? Mm. I know Bed Beirut because I was in Ujjid at the university, so I know the building somehow. I don't know a lot about the building myself. Mm. And all my friends today, they're like, what is that Bed Beirut? We don't know the history of Bed Beirut. We don't even know Bed Beirut. And even in the Saura, hmm. even in the places we went in, and we they don't know what are those places. Yeah. Because we never learn what are those places. And I will give you a very specific example from my... And I, I'm considered someone who knows maybe 5% of the history of Lebanon. When I went to Muhammad Tame um, exhibit and the installation, and you have the map of Beit Beirut, yeah. uh, sorry, of Beirut, of the, yeah. and you have fixed buildings, yes. and then you can move other things. I tried so moving I was, the sarai; he wouldn't let me. <laughs> but but wait, I, <laughs> I was, wanted to take it. Yeah, sorry, I sorry. was looking at the fixed <laughs> things, and some of them I really couldn't locate them. I mm. couldn't. I'm like, what is that? Where is that? Mm. It was difficult for me at the beginning to locate the parliament. And the municipality, I think there was, and I, it was difficult for me because visually, it's not easy. Um, not everyone is aware about Beirut. This is why most of our programs in Manila is getting youth outside Beirut in the rural community in the rural area to come and visit. You know that we've worked with young people who never visited Beirut in their lives. They don't know what is Beirut, so this is huge. Yeah. So this project not only brings uh, young people uh, in and and let them understand their history, let them understand the building, what is the building, but also it lets them engage and question a lot of things 
that even if you go to each installation today in the exhibition, you will have questions. You will have more questions than answers. Hmm. And yeah, sorry. yeah, no, no, that's that's. Uh, you, you see, it's interesting talking about it. Makes me want to go back. I, I think there's there's a lot of layers to this exhibit. People came yeah. two and three times to the exhibition, and right. we were surprised. And we were like, "Why are you coming back?" And they're like, "We want to understand more, and we want to get immersed in yes. each installation. It takes time." It takes really time, and that's amazing that people are coming back. It's really impressive. And selfishly, I like it when it's not so crowded, so it's actually a little more relaxed. You can take, yeah. you don't feel like you need to move. Um, but I like that you said the youth are into themselves. Yes. That uh, that is a very uh, sad reality, and Beirut in the background, but you're focusing on trying to change that, or at least trying to. Yeah. The way you're saying it, it's almost like let the youth discover in a more maybe engaging way rather than a boring history class that perhaps all of us have experienced. But you yourself didn't know what Beit Beirut was and you're studying just down the street. Now where's the failure there? Is it a matter of, is this literally just education and failure of education? Or is this genuine disinterest? Meaning that you have to actually do it on your own. Because I naturally found my way into Beit Beirut many times. Mm. No one ever had to show me the, the direction. Uh -huh. I stumbled in. And I think I found myself wanting to do that over and over. Is, does that just go back to a, a, a state that needs to better adopt history into its curriculum? Or is this something that goes beyond that? It's not only history, it's civic education. Civic education. Men started mm. the whole idea of, of why we started this. We questioned something very important back in 2013. We said, okay, there is an issue with young people in Lebanon. How to tackle it? Is it women empowerment? Is mm. it climate change? Is it, is it uh, recycling and environment? What is it? Back in 2013 with a friend. And I told him, but it's everything. We want to work on women education, uh, empowerment. We want to work on climate change. We want to work on this, but how to start? Mm. And then we discovered and we thought that the only link between all of these causes and adaya in Arabic yeah. is to empower young people to be able to care more about the adaya or the causes. When you say so, empower, does that mean just giving them tools? Okay, empower has different meanings. So the first meaning is identity. Okay. They need to understand themselves, what they, need, what they want, mm. who they are. It's very important. You can give a tool to someone who is already lost. Yeah. So the first thing we, we wanted to do, uh, we're jumping from a subject to another, but, but let me continue the other. Sure, sure of course. Uh, That's why we have editing. So, no, uh, no. so back in 2013, yeah. we said we want to, to work on different causes. What is the cause that could link all of these? Mm. The idea was if we work on civic education, we could empower young people to be able to understand the causes and to fight for them. So civic education was our first choice, and we wanted to change the curriculum with the Ministry of Education. This is how it all started. Okay, so there is a link to the Ministry of Education. Here. Of course, yeah, okay, of course. So we yeah. wanted to change the book. You remember the yeah. book of 20 pages? Yes. That is, so we're like, if we can have access to thousands of young students from schools, through schools, through this one hour of civic education in schools. You remember, every week we had one hour yeah. of Tarbiyah Madaniya. And it was not fun. Exactly. So if we could change and create an interactive tool, this was the whole idea, okay. and, inc and increase um, volunteering, do community service, 
through civic education, we will change the world and we will change Lebanon. I see. And within that, you find yourself partnering up with Alu Beirut. Uh, that's yes. kind of a, it's so, a marriage of... Yeah. Exactly. So through the years, also we changed a lot because we discovered that we want to work on citizenship education and not civic education. And what is the difference between them? It's a bit, I'm not, uh, I didn't study education, so we worked with experts on that. But civic education is about, you know, rights and responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Citizenship education is more, it's about human rights, it's about understanding the context, it's all of that. So we started working on that and we couldn't change the curriculum. We tried, we fought for it, we couldn't. So we started working outside the curriculum. Oh, what we call non-formal education. Right. And we started working from the Beka to the north, to, Be to the Jnub, to Beirut, to every region in Lebanon. And, and here we discovered that the main problem is youth disengagement. You know what's interesting? When you're describing your own journey the last decade or so, I can imagine Muna al-Halla because she's an architect, she's urban planner by training, uh, and she's been focusing all her effort on institutions outside of education. But I think of Beit Beirut as an educational tool, more than anything. Not, not even the idea, but uh, everything started in 2010 when I entered in Le Cave du Roi um, because I had a chronicle about places of memory in Beirut. So I entered this nightclub um, in Excelsior Hotel and we find so many archives, papers and negatives. Um, so I just wrote an article about the place, but I came back a lot with friends and uh, one of them was photographer. And with the negatives, he did a beautiful series named uh, Beirut uh, 75-15 that is actually on the exhibition. Mm. And it's a collage between uh, the, the picture uh, he took about Beirut during uh, three, uh, three years and the negatives we find in the Cap du Roi. When he showed me the, this series, I was like, okay, now we can do something between journalism and art. There was mm. something interesting that... Because it was this idea with archives, what you want to do with the general public, you cannot do anything. It would be boring. Even for myself, I know, to use uh, archives behind glasses, it's not very interactive. So when you add uh, this uh, art aspect, it uh, brings something new. So with him, we had this idea in 2015 to make an exhibition, but it was only about the Cave du Roi. Oh, it was still just that? Yeah, it's about what we find in, in situ. Yeah. okay. Uh, then so I started an investigation about Prosper Guepara, the owners of, of the place. I met the family, you know, shway shway. and uh, for the archives also, it was quite complicated to access, to accede, to accede, to accede, to access, <laughs> to access all the archives. And strangely, in 2019, when the revolution started, 
I had access to all his archives, kind of. And a huge part of his archives. And when I discovered all of them, I was like, okay. He wrote that in uh, 1960, and it's what we're experiencing today on the street. That made you want to go from one location to the whole city? Is that the journey from... Uh, so, we chose actually uh, the subject he, uh, he deal with. Like he oh. talked about downtown Beirut, how mm. he wanted to mm. rehabilitate it from the, from the 90s. He talked a lot about uh, monetary reforms. So, everything that he thought, we create a room. Like it's our journalistic angle on the project. I see. There is okay. always a reason why. Right. Um, and sorry, this is 2015. So it, that's yeah, se seven years ago. It kind of becomes, you can imagine it coming together. In 2000, uh, 2015, it was just about the Cave du Roi. Oh, okay. okay. Then I made this investigation. We, I, 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 uh, I found that he had so many uh, projects about Lebanon, had, that he thought like Lebanon as uh, one nation from the south to the north, mm. and he wanted to develop it as one nation. That is quite yeah. new. Yeah. I mean, not new, but uh, nice, let's say. And uh, what was very interesting with him is like the symbol of the, cave, of the Dolce Vita, the Cave du Roi, and all. But in the same time, he was saying, like, okay, now in the 60s, there is no political will, there is no enough reforms, and that was quite new and refreshing to have the two sides of it. The side, nice, like the Dolce Vita, that is true, Cave du Roi, Palm Beach, uh, Kit Kat, even, it was also from uh, his family. And the, the side, no reforms and no social policies, uh, public policies, downtown, the rehabilitation, and uh, so, yeah, in... In 2019, during the revolution, oh, oh. The, yeah, so the does, project took another way. I see. So the protest did change and evolve it yeah. quickly. Okay. And then the explosion as well. So it was mm. we had it in mind, and then uh, it like we we evolved with the situation of Lebanon. Tell me if I'm wrong. There's nothing about the blast in the exhibit. Uh, There's nothing no. specifically about the blast. No. Okay. One thing. Yeah, one thing. The last one. Uh, the last room. Ah, no. No? Ah. One tiny, tiny detail about the exhibit that has something about the explosion. What? From our side or from the artist's side? From the artist's side. Cabrit? No, the clock. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Sorry, I even forgot yeah, what yeah, we yeah. put. Well, that's... See, this is why you need to go back. Again and I again to, and again. I, I need to come I've back. I've seen that clock night. Yes, of course. Yeah, we put it actually the first the the, the yeah the first room. It's a kitchen and mm. it's a kind of a presentation room on the Beirut of today. Mm. And we wanted it each every detail of this room has a link to Beirut of today. So of course we wanted to pay tribute and to remember and also with the clock that stop at uh, six uh, zero seven. Uh, six or seven, yeah. And the last room, I know we, you, you, you leave the exhibition with a picture of the port, but it's mm. 1976. Right. But it's uh, definitely a clown day to the explosion. Right. That it's repeat again and again. I also think of something else all the time, and maybe Daphne, I can ask you this. Did I say Daphne? Delphine. I said Daphne. Sorry about that. Delphine. This is a building that's also suggesting that something terrible happened, which is the topic not explored in the exhibit. It speaks for itself, but the Civil War is that one issue that has sort of frozen Lebanon, the way I see it. And it's also frozen history, too. 
and you mentioned the 20 pages or so, or let's say the, uh, the inability to properly teach history the way it should be taught. I mean, you're lucky if it even reaches 1970. It often falls flat in the 50s. Before, yeah. yeah. So that kind of reality, and then all the effort being done. I don't know if there's any real success here unless there's a national healing process when it comes to the Civil War. And that's a maybe thing that will never happen in our lifetime. But do you see it that way? Is that being maybe too blunt? Because I, I don't see any real progress being made unless that happens. About the Civil War, you mean? Yeah. The, and the, what's something that was related to Beit Beirut? I know some of our team are journalists. It was the first time they entered uh, Beit Beirut. So the first time they actually uh, see something from the civil war. And some of them cry inside. And some of them even told me, Delphine, I know that the civil war happened because I was there. But now that I saw the Lou Falls, I understood it happened. The, the, the roof, the... The Lou Falls, the The sniper... Uh, the snipers. Oh, yes, Falls, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was quite surprised because we all made a huge... Studies, we of course know that the civil war happened, but the fact that they saw it at Beit Beirut, it was something happened in them. Yeah, I was like, uh, shit. I mean, in a way, <laughs> yeah. because if if <laughs> if this sort of person like have this sort of reaction, the one that didn't uh, made studies and uh, go to university and everything, uh, what the level of the understanding of the civil war? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, yeah. It's it's interesting what you say because you say it freezed in the same time so it's a focus and in the same time it's like we don't understand anything and yeah. there are many initiatives but in the same time there is a nothing that makes us understand better. Yeah, but there's a there's something that gets stuck in the middle. Every initiative tries to tackle this and that there's not really any uh, fundamental change, but people keep trying. But maybe it's, it's the audience. I think what mm. you said about history, and uh, I think it's a way also to talk to people. If it is books, or if it is, for example, not related to civil war, but for us, the archives, we say that, okay, if we just put archives behind glasses, it won't have the same impact that the exhibition yeah. today. So we need to right. find a way to really uh, have interest from people, the kids, or the normal people, like just to talk about it. So maybe we'll have an event about dealing with the past, if you want to talk more about it. But I mean, it's, okay, I, I, so there's this decade-long effort in creating this exhibit, and the frustration of youth and being selfish, or not, or disinterest. But that's not even part of, I mean, that's, that's a s small part of the problem, that the Lebanese state continues to devolve over time. So even trying to get the Ministry of Education to do something today, I can imagine it's almost impossible, if not impossible. So is it fair to say that these are just initiatives that never reach their goal? No, it's not fair. I not think, fair. I mean, I don't know, it's complicated because when you have an initiative, you put everything and then we know all the initiatives that that are existed today about the civil war. Yeah. I think that they are doing, they are doing their best. They're do yes, they're doing their best. And yeah. then after what you're saying, that also politically, I know uh, this, uh, we are not allowed to, to really talk about memory. I know in the beginning, in the beginning for Beit Beirut in 2014 or 2012, when you were saying this is, it will be a museum about memory. Yeah. 
the municipality was like, no, it's not about memory, don't talk about that. So each time you are talking about the civil war, and personally I never worked about the civil war, but there is kind of, uh, it's forbidden. It's exactly that what we didn't have for the 60s, because for the 60s it's kind of cool, you can go. Yeah. But the civil war, there is something like, no, we cannot really, and we have researchers that totally you know, work about that, but you have kind of a limit from the institution as well. You know, I'm, I, maybe I'm not asking it the right way, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to do a better job with you, Tata, because uh, this could be my limitation. No, actually, because I, I, I feel something that is always blocking these initiatives. Uh, your frustration and trying to work through an NGO that you set up. You have a very clear mission, and it's all about, I mean, getting Lebanese outside of Beirut to get more involved and even bring them in. That's something that's, I don't think, I can't, I don't know anyone else trying to do this in a youth, uh, in a youth empowering way, but I can still imagine that these are hurdles beyond your control. No, definitely. Uh... It's a fight for every single person who wants to do something. For Delphine now, it was Alo Beirut for 10 years. Mm. For Mona, it was the building. Yeah. For me, it's maybe engaging young people to, to start the fight together, to change, to do social change. This is yeah. the whole idea. We want to empower youth to do what? To create change. And this is not easy. Mm. Mm. And this is why it's also a journey. And someone asked me one, one day, um, like... What is exactly that you're doing? It's also difficult because citizenship education is a concept that is flu, it's blurry. Even the big experts are like, what is it exactly? So I try to put it as a journey, as a four-step journey, how to become an active citizen. Because people are citizens, but they're not, they are not active. They don't care. that They are disengaged, disinterested in what's happening around them. Because they have so many problems. Mm. I mean, yeah. they can't eat, they can't go to university, they have a lot of issues. So the four steps uh, journey is what? So the whole idea is bringing young people first to be aware about their rights and their responsibilities. It starts with awareness. Mm. Okay, I can do that, I can vote, I, can, I need to uh, give back to my community, I need to be aware about what's happening around me. Okay, I'm aware. This is the first step. The second step, is what? It's feeling concerned. Okay, there is an issue about racism. There is an issue, let's say, about not, not being able to give citizenship to your daughter if you're a woman. There are these issues, but I need to feel concerned. Yeah. So how to do that? It's so difficult. So this, this is the next step. But is that is the ultimate hurdle not being able to fully address what happened to Lebanon? Yeah. Um, the reconciliation, you mean? Things that should have happened decades ago that are left hanging. Yes. But all these good initiatives that are still trying to combat that. Okay, I will answer this. So when we started working and we wanted to engage young people in education and in civic education and volunteering and everything. And as soon as I started working on this in 2013, as Delphine said, everyone was, Tala, what are you doing? This will never change. Young people, when Lebanon will not change. You are wasting your time. It's been 10 years today. And I feel that, yes, there are issues that are pending. It's mm. our job. It's our job as citizens mm. to bring them back on the table and to fight for them. If, what are you yeah. doing, Roni, here in this podcast? You are bringing also, you are highlighting different people doing different things. This is what your part of your mission in your life. Delphine's part is different, my part is different. So we have to fight to bring them back. 
we're the post-war generation. And we both, the three of us, experienced the early euphoria of what was October 17, uh, and the disarray and tragedy of everything that's been happening the last nearly three years. Within that story, there's a youth-led movement, there's a woman-led movement, there's a rec reclamation of history, or at least an attempt. Um, there's a lot of citizen journalism. I mean, activists that became journalists, and some of them have pursued journalism as a career. There's a lot of citizens that wanted to enter politics, and I think it's not necessarily education, but there's an educational component to this story. Lebanese are learning what it feels like to be a citizen and what it should feel like to be in a functioning state. I think these were happening on the ground. And Beit Beirut is almost like a, it's watching. Sort of something that's been stagnant, come back to life, and then goes back to stagnancy. So if you can project your own, let's say, relationship to this building and to Lebanon moving forward, you have an NGO, um, you have an exhibit that started 12 years ago, and now it's, it's phase three. Uh, do you see this as maybe a, a positive end to this story, that what you're doing is planting seeds for the next generation? Do you think that you will actually experience something positive happening within our lifetime? And this is really trying to persuade me to not see things as bleak as I think they are, because it's good efforts, like what you're doing, that I think motivates people to keep trying. But I can always think of motivation as a permanence, permanent activity while things continue to fail. So maybe your own personal relationship to this project, to Lebanon, and how you see things moving forward. I'll start with you. Oh. It's a pity. <laughs> we'll start with you. Uh, no, but for <laughs> A gift for you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I accept Why donations. are you a pessimist? Why? After Samir Asir was killed in 2005, I was, in, I was inspired by somebody who was young and uh, humble and academic mostly, political in his last weeks, uh, I was inspired by somebody like him because that for me was the turning point that we're going to learn yeah. and this will never happen again. I was wrong. That's 2005. The last 17 years, many people that I thought were trying to do the right thing, like him, Mm. but from all sectors, mm. not just politics, not just protests. Mm. And back then, it's a, 17 years ago, it was a different time. But uh, too many of those kinds of people that really loved Beirut and loved what it stood for, um, they're gone. And they're not gone because of heart attacks mm. or car crashes. And that for me means the violence of the civil war is still with us. It's just not a civil war. But there is political violence in the background of Beirut. And you fast forward August 4, 2020. 
I mean, the whole city experienced the most devastating, it's the largest non-nuclear blast in modern history. It happened a few kilometers from here. I mean, again, I say it, my apartment in Marun Khayel is sort of in disarray still, two years later. I'm pessimistic because in the last 17 years, that's longer than the civil war itself. The state has eroded further. Mm. Uh, social unrest has increased. Anxiety is a mainstay. And uh, we're now living through, I think, the hardest chapter of modern history. 32 years after the Civil War ended. Now that's twice as long as the war itself. And the older generation that knew Lebanon before the war, they're fading with age. They're fading. So I, I, I'm pessimistic because of my own life in this country. And it's a rare occasion for me not to bring up a very personal moment, but he's right there behind us. I lost my father for reasons that I think are part of that Civil War-like legacy. Political violence stays with us. But that's not uh, discounting everyone's sincere effort. And some of these people you get to know personally. I don't know if you know Umam, uh, with, uh, the Umam NGO. Mm -hmm. Monica Bergman, to me, is one of those examples. Somebody who keeps trying. But that, for me, is the story. You keep trying. And then, in our lifetime, we've seen Lebanon fail. So that's the background I live in. History tours, political tours, collective memory tours, I did that for 15 years. And I know that no matter what you do and say in Lebanon, mm. no matter how hard you try to engage an audience, to rethink this country, there's a reality that's much bigger. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't tolerate uh, initiatives. If I can just say one thing yes, about, about your experience is that... Um, you said, like, one example is Umam and what she's doing, and that's amazing. Uh, another great example is you as well. You are doing this podcast because also you still have deep inside you uh, a mission, and you still have faith in whatever mission or vision you have. And this is exactly what we're trying to do. Mm. We're trying to bring... Everyone is doing something small. Mm. And we want to support them in this mission they have. And you have a big mission because this is a platform for a lot of activists, but you are one of them. And you have to remember that. So don't... Um, everyone around me tells me that you are always so optimistic and how do you believe in change? This is not possible. Yes, sometimes I do want to like... Grrr, definitely. But... If you see the change that you can make in everyone's life, like this tiny bit, and how they are, they can be this person A, and then they can become person B. And like one talk, one discussion, they can change so many things. You will say, I want to do this every single day of my life. And you feel that this is your mission, and I feel it every single day in my life. And it is so a, a daily mission. fight. It's, it's a, a mission. It's a mission uh, irrespective of where things move. It's a mission. Yeah. It's a mission to sustain. It's a mission to keep believing that you can do. Yes. Definitely, we did many projects that failed. Yeah. Miserably failed. Uh, but it's okay. Because it's part of the history as well. And 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, we will say that we tried and we did. 
and we achieved and we failed and it's part of of accepting that you failed but you need to continue and you continue and continue and this is why we are here and you said Delphinia you did a good job she didn't do a good job this is an amazing thing like this everything that you see in the exhibition every single pen or anything you saw in this exhibition took a lot of effort to create in this country that is so difficult to live in today we are still here and we are still fighting to do this so this is why people coming in they are crying not because of the exhibition because they can't believe that some people are do can still do this in lebanon this is huge that's well said yeah you know i could use more of these words in life because uh, i can tell also that there's an amount of stress that's uh very difficult to deal with and you're still saying the right thing and you're saying it with a with a i think a, a lens that's accurate there's a mission and yeah, I, i appreciate the way you focused in on that definitely i don't hear that much uh, nuance and sort mm -hmm. of optimism but carefully constructed optimism since well, you gave Tala the floor I'm not now sure it's your it's, it's too your for me to say anything after that but if you i know it's true that each fight to to uh, to win it is so complicated and so harsh but after it's true what you did and you don't know what will be tomorrow the seeds i like the what you said about the seeds because for me the revolution even everything we experienced the last two years for me there is like a, a change even when you are talking about this dolce vita and now it's changed because of the revolution and they bring like a new um, uh, context and concept so for me there's uh, they or even the, the the idea just to go to protest and uh, two two years ago and uh, before the revolution it was not like three years ago it was not like that and uh, people was not like fighting on the street and but the, no but they were that, that's where i live in in my mind you go back 17 years ago people were protesting the activists and people like you and and also like people who were directly involved in the in the uh, decrees of uh, life and everything but yeah. Of course, there was like you think and way before and two thousand and two thousand five. I was not there two thousand five. But when we come back to the uh, in Lebanon, it's like that. I feel that after the revolution, it, this is a bit less. Like mm. the new generation know that they can maybe change something on the street. Before, mm. I'm not so sure. So you think there's a there's an actual uh, an end with October seventeenth? That there's something new being built. Regardless yeah. of what's happened, yeah, the last yeah, sure. Years. For me, it's sure in the mentality. Yeah, it's maybe we don't do it. We are not on the street, but we know we can go. I used to think this way in the months after October seventeen, and I think I stopped thinking that way. But it's good to hear it from you as well. And I, uh, I mean, you need to have a healthy amount of optimism to function in this country, anyway. Are you Which, sure? I, I want to ask you both. We'll wrap it up with this. Uh, for somebody that hasn't been to this exhibit, but is in Lebanon right now, can you in a way sell it to somebody who's driving past Sodeco or walking and they see it and it's open? A way that would maybe persuade somebody to walk in and explore Beirut's layered history. I'll start with you, Tala. Thank you. <laughs> that was just for you. Because <laughs> I, I, I now know from your eye communication, it's like, oh, we'll go over there. <laughs> but ending with you. <laughs> I can start short. Yes, please. I mean, it's a sensory journey. 
we uh, mm. we thought that like uh, really as immersive interactive as you will be the actor of uh, your visit and uh, it's not a classical exhibition and so um, yeah you need to come because uh, you will discover Beirut through ages you will start with Beirut of today you will learn more about the story of uh, Beit Beirut and then we will go back physically into the 50s 60s 70s to discover how was life before, but uh, through a more complex portrait, economic and cultural portrait. So uh, sensory experience. Yeah. I like that. Mm. What about you, Tolo? Curiosity. Some people mm. do not know this building. I mean, they pass it every day, next yeah. to it every day. You have to know this building. You have to know its history. Now you have the chance to visit. You have to, the chance to go into this journey that uh, you will learn a lot and avid learners, curious people will definitely enjoy this experience and um, and the whole idea is to create a space for people to come together and start this reconciliation, this peace that we're looking for. This is the right place if you want to start the process and and meet other people that are different than you. You will meet them in this specific space. For me, it's letting Beirut speak on its terms in a very, very eloquent way. You guys have done something terrific. Uh, I, it's hard to impress me with anything when it comes to new ideas in Beirut. The moment I walked in, I felt like this place is finally being used the way it should be used. It's not Mun al alone trying to do a little tour for somebody who's walking in and she does her best. It's not that. She shouldn't struggle that way. There should be a collective of people working together. And I appreciate what you said, Tata. People should work together on these things. It pays off. So it's embedded in the website, donations, and I hope, I hope it survives beyond three months. It deserves to survive at least a year. Um, I'll be going back. Oh. Oh, I, I'll keep going back. It's not because I'm partial to Muhammad Tameh. It's really it has you nothing to do. You will be partial to us now. And now I'm partial to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact is, the opening was magic. The dance, the music, the everything. You guys did it in such a way that, yeah, the city can fall apart. Lebanon can fall apart, but something beautiful persists. So, thank you, Delphine. Thank you, Tal. Thank you, thank you, Ron. That's what you were off. I mean, what you was talking talking about about the no no because of course I can I can speak. <laughs> that should that should be the new one. <laughs> <laughs>